Welcome to Agency for Change, a podcast from Kid Glove that brings you the stories of changemakers who are actively working to improve our communities. In every episode, we'll meet with people who are making a lasting impact in the places we call home. Hi, everyone. This is Lynn Weinman. On August 26th, Women's Equality Day commemorates the passage of women's suffrage in America. This is a celebration of generations of heroic women who overcame hurdles and faced violence and discrimination to advance the equal rights of women. In honor of this movement, we are releasing an encore of our podcast featuring the Women's Fund of Omaha, a team that addresses gender-based inequities in our community. Enjoy. Hello, Changemakers. This is Lynn Weinman, president of Kid Glove. Welcome to another inspiring episode of the Agency for Change podcast. Today, I am really looking forward to a very interesting conversation with Tiffany seibert Yakel and Jill Hagen. They are both with the Women's Fund of Omaha, an organization that's working on the most critical challenges facing both women and girls. Jill and Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Let's just get started. Jill, I have a question for you to get us going. Can you just give us the high level overview of the kinds of work you are doing at the Women's Fund of Omaha? The Women's Fund has been around for more than 30 years. We've provided more than 35 million grants to programs working to address the most critical issues that you talked about impacting local women and girls. Our work has really stretched statewide as we work on advocacy and grant funding throughout Nebraska now. And our work is aligned in our values. We're focused on equity, bold impact, collaboration, community voice, intersectionality, and bodily autonomy. And we really want to see these communities where women can reach their full potential, right? So we look at the issues that are most critical to women and girls. We're really rooted in research so we know what issues are impacting them. Then we fund grant programs so that the programs and the people who are making a difference in the life of women and girls have the funding that they need to make that bold impact. And then we also do a lot of work in public advocacy, which is what Tiffany will talk a lot about today and is super brilliant in doing. Super brilliant. I always love talking about things that are super brilliant. Tiffany, can you just share what are a few key factors that demonstrate the uphill battle that women are facing today? Yeah, Lynn, thank you. And again, thanks for having us in this important conversation. So as Jill mentioned, the Women's Fund engages to create opportunities for women and girls in our community and across the state. I think we need look no further than daily news headlines to see the types of challenges that women and girls are facing from battling systems of patriarchy and misogyny in our workplaces, in the community, from working to disrupt systems of white supremacy um, and the intersections of all of these systems that keep women and girls from reaching their full potential. So, you know, those are the areas in which the Women's Fund works to create system change so that all women and girls have the opportunity to excel and succeed. I do love that. You know, I've been in the workforce, I hate to tell you for how long, but but for well over 30 years. And I feel like so much change has happened, but yet I also feel like 
we have so far to go, right? And and you've shared some, and I've seen a lot of data indicating that women have been disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Does your data also support this? What I will say, Lynn, is that the COVID crisis has been devastating for women. Um, There's no doubt about that. What I think is also true to remember, though, is many of the ways these barriers have surfaced, these are not new things, right? These are not new challenges. These are simply, there's no denying there's no denying them anymore. There's no pretending that they don't exist. The the cri- the crisis, the pandemic, its impact on employment has has simply elevated and shown a light on the problems that have always existed. So, for example, the COVID crisis disproportionately impacted women in job loss and still continues to. The unemployment rate among women is two points higher than um, where it was when this crisis started, and that is predominantly because the sectors most impacted by this crisis are also those who are who have been disproportionately where women have held the jobs so the service sector for example you know the restaurants and and tourism industry those sorts of industries were hardest hit women also represent the majority of our low wage workforce right and so the reverberations in our low wage workforce were tremendous when this crisis hit. Uh, And so, you know, that is not a, that's not something unique to the pandemic, that women are the majority of our, our lowest wage workers. Additionally, the caregiving crisis that has been a result of COVID. So with childcare closing and with schools closing, um, at one point in, in the summer, one in three caregivers was considering leaving the workforce because they could not maintain their responsibilities to their job and also to their family. And while there is some data to show that men did, did bear some of that caregiving burden, the majority of that always has and continues to fall squarely on the shoulders of of women. Um, And so that has then created significant impact on our workforce. And one way that we could have adjusted that is and supported that is by making sure we're prioritizing our childcare system so that all workers have access to affordable, high-quality childcare. Another piece that we needed before the crisis and we still need now is access to paid leave, right? All workers have obligations to their family members. And when our structures of employment allow us to both meet the needs of our family and our employers, um, our workforce will be stronger. And unfortunately, many people, and particularly women, did not have access to those kinds of flexible and family supporting work environments that allow them to do both. And so they dropped out of the workforce. So at a time when our business community consistently discusses that the largest challenge they face is finding qualified workers to fill their needs and meet their needs, we are not supporting women in engaging in the workforce in the way that they would like to um, because they are bearing the the majority of the uh, caregiving responsibility at home as well. The other piece of that, a lot of paid leave is in, in, in our minds, we're always thinking about women caring for, for young children, but the other part that COVID has really amplified, which has always been the case for women as well is caregiving for elderly parents, most likely falls on the woman as well. Right. And the women in the household. So not only is she caring for her young children who are out of daycare and out of school, but she's trying to navigate online systems to get her parents vaccinated. She's caring for elderly grandparents 
who ha have appointments and need extra transportation or what have you. And all of that has just been compounded by the pandemic. So again, these are not these are not new issues. They've just been compounded so much and just pushed women further and further back to this equity that we've so tried for so many years to reach. You know, I really have seen, as you mentioned, the caregiving crunch. You know, we are an all-female team at Kit Glove, and we've seen it. And I have such strong admiration for the women who are taking care of kids at home and becoming teachers and, and very worried and helping their parents. And I think our team is probably lucky because our team, our work can be shifted to remote work, but not everybody has that luxury as well. So really good points. And so Jill, question for you, and I'm just going to say right now, this may seem like a silly question, and I'm, I'm kind of setting you up here, right? Why is it important for us to support women in these challenging issues? It's a great question. And I, I wish that more people would think about this in, in this way. Every time a woman has an opportunity to become a leader, to earn enough money to support her family, or to safely leave a violent relationship, our whole communities become better, more vibrant, more equitable, more economically sound, all of these things, in fact, impact our whole community. And Tiffany and I have talked about this a lot, and we've hinted on it a little bit too in previous answers to your questions, Lynn, but everybody benefits when those most marginalized are impacted and lifted up, right? We can't just focus on these as women's issues. These are human issues. These are issues that impact everybody. Even again, if we take COVID, housing issues and housing insecurity was impacted more compoundly during the COVID crisis. So if a woman doesn't have a safe home to be in, whether she's in an abusive relationship or has an abusive partner, that was impacted during COVID. There was nowhere else to go, right? And we were also telling people to stay at home for your safety during a global health pandemic. And if, if home wasn't a safe place or you didn't have a home, how could we ever consider that this pandemic wouldn't go the way that it did? We have a housing crisis in the United States and right here in Nebraska, we do. And until we focus on those issues, those most basic issues that greatly impact women and girls, our communities will suffer. And so when we do that, when we focus on these issues that for so long we've called women's issues, they will really benefit the whole community. That is great. And you know what? When you say that, I think most people would say, yes, obviously that makes sense. But what I appreciate about the Women's Fund is that you keep these issues front of mind for us, right? And you advocate and, and move them forward in a, in a positive way. And Tiffany, you're the research and policy director for the Women's Fund of Omaha. And I am sure you are very busy right now with the Nebraska legislature in, in session. What are some of the key policy issues that you're working on? Thanks for this question, Lynn. And as we said, you know, the Women's Fund works in a variety of ways, but a, a primary way that we enact change and work to improve our communities for women and girls is through policy change, right? When we disrupt and dismantle systems that are, create barriers to women, we are having an impact today and tomorrow, right? And, and for future generations. So the policy change is critical. Our funding is important. Our research is important. But changing and building better systems is what will really reverberate for our generation and the next and the next. And so there are lots of really important issues for women at the legislature. The Women's Fund 
we look at our expertise and our relationships and where we are able to best have an impact. And so we generally look at policy issues within um, freedom from violence, which would include issues of gender-based violence and sexual violence, addressing sex trafficking. We do work in economic stability and women's leadership. So we look at policies in that space. And then we also do policy work around reproductive health, access to reproductive health and and sexual literacy. And so the women's, there were 608, 40 some, 600 and some bills introduced this session at the legislature. The Women's Fund ultimately took a position on around 40 some of those bills. And there are several that are really important to us that are moving forward and I'm grateful for the opportunity to chat about them a little bit. One issue that has been something that the Women's Fund has been working on for the last couple of years, and we are really supporting the leadership of Ivy Black Girl in this space, which is an initiative of of the Women's Fund. And and there is a bill, LB 451, that would ban natural hair discrimination in the workplace. So um, research is very clear that Black women are subject to over-policing based upon their appearance and their hair style in the workplace. Um, They are more likely to be made aware of grooming policy or a workplace dress policy because of their hair. And this is really rooted in racism and an understanding of what is professional that is based upon a sort of Eurocentric understanding of of beauty and, and professionalism. And so this really prevents Black women from showing up to work as who they are and expressing themselves. And quite frankly, they are then being judged not by the skills and qualifications that they bring to the job, but the way their hair looks. And so Um, LB 451 has been prioritized, introduced and prioritized by Senator Terrell McKinney. It is now advanced from the committee and is ready for full debate by the legislature. And so we are really hopeful that that bill will move forward this year. Another bill we're working on will be LB 320. And when I say LB, that means legislative bill. Uh, Thank you for that. For those of us that aren't advocacy wonks, right? Yes. So thank you for that. Uh, A priority for the Women's Fund this session is Legislative Bill 320. This bill was introduced by Senator John Kavanaugh and prioritized by Senator John Kavanaugh, and it is intended to promote housing stability for survivors of domestic violence, making sure that they are not evicted because of the violence that has been committed upon them, and also providing an avenue for people in a domestic violence situation to be able to safely exit a lease so that a lease isn't keeping them from achieving safety and a safe place to live. You know, I can't imagine the stress of that needing to get out of a situation, a life-threatening situation, and then having to be worried about your lease. Right. It is economic security and stability is a primary barrier to safety. And it is one of the main reasons that people struggle to leave a a violent situation because perhaps they depend on the income of their partner. Perhaps they don't have a safe place to live. Perhaps they don't know how they'll provide for their child or pay childcare or put food on the table. And so when we also compound that trauma by making housing so difficult and making it such a precarious situation, we are not serving and supporting survivors and we can do better. So LB320 allows a process to get out of a lease safely in in the instance of domestic violence. We're also very interested in 
bills that support access to work supports that help folks uh, meet the needs of their families and also, you know, have affordable childcare, have access to food security. So, so programs that, that provide that assistance when folks need it as they work their way to economic stability. And then finally, another issue that I just think is important to raise, it's not at the legislature, but it is an important conversation that we're having right now. The State Department of Education is undergoing a process of creating health standards that schools across the state could look at and implement to guide what they are teaching our students about how to grow into healthy and successful adults. These standards that the Department of Education are developing are voluntary. They are not mandatory. They do not have to be implemented by schools across the state, but they are important in setting the standard for what schools can look to about how to uh, implement the most comprehensive and impactful education curriculum for health education curriculum for our students. And so the Women's Fund is working to support that from a variety of angles. We are very interested in strong um, inclusion of sexual and reproductive literacy, as well as sexual violence prevention in those standards. It is absolutely critical that we're teaching youth from a a young age, those components. And so that is a process that we'll be engaging in for the next several months. Tiffany, that's, that's a lot. It's a lot of work and a lot of issues. And it's kind of fascinating to me because I really do believe that In conversation, every Nebraska state senator would say gender equality is important, fairness to women is important, but man, we're we're not there yet. I mean, is this is this implicit bias? What is it that makes this change so difficult? I think it's a lot of factors, Lynn, and and you know, that is why we really we think it's important to analyze and Um, change structures, right? Like we have to think about and understand the way our systems and structures were built that did not, that do not support equity, whether that's um, gender equity, also racial equity, right? And it's, it is implicit bias. It's also some explicit bias, right? And And an understanding of the role of women in our workforce, the role of women in our families and how that's changing. And so again, I think that is why it's so important at the Women's Fund that we are rooted in research, that we can make a strong case for the need to change systems so that we can realize equity. An example that I give, we've been working on a bill to support pay equity and the bill would ban the or prohibit the inform, prohibit asking about salary history information when you're applying for a job, right? And the reason is because the the research is very clear that we cannot separate as women and particularly for women of color, you cannot separate what you were paid at a prior job from any potential discrimination that may be embedded in that pay structure. And so then when you go to apply for a new job and that employer asks you, well, what did you make at your last job? And they base your offer on what you made at your last job. They are then further perpetuating that discrimination that may have existed prior. That employer could have the best of intentions, right? That new employer could have every be very meaningfully working towards equity, and that could be their intent, but that is not their impact 
if they are using that information to inform your future salary, right? So that's a way to disrupt the system. And I think that's something that people wouldn't necessarily recognize as a process or a piece that perpetuates inequity, but it is very clear that it does. There was research this summer that found in the states that have implemented a salary history ban, when people change jobs, they saw five to 6% higher salaries on average. And for women, it was 8% where there were salary history bans in place. And for black job seekers, it was 13%, right? So here is, here is a a seemingly neutral practice, right? But the reality is that it it perpetuates bias. And so again, for us at the Women's Fund, it is about finding those solutions, educating about that impact so we can continue to dismantle these systems that really do keep in place patriarchal white supremacist structures. You know, I am really glad that you shared that because that is something that I think most Hiring managers, business owners would think of as a benign practice. And I even think as a business owner and as a mom of young women, young professional women, I'm proud of the fact that I have taught them to negotiate because you accept that first lower salary because you want to get the job that's potentially could impact your entire career and have you know, a pretty significant earning differential over an entire career. So, you know, just you saying that makes me more aware of the hiring that we'll do here at Kid Club. So thank you for that. Um, Jill, I'd love to talk to you. We've talked a lot about legislative issues. It's a very important part of what you do, but I know there's other work that you're doing that really supports women's causes. Like I've seen online that you have created a very comprehensive media guide that also brings out some of these implicit biases that people probably don't understand. I know that you're having power hour discussions. What are some of these initiatives that we should be aware of? Really proud of our small but mighty team. I'm just one part of our public awareness team, but you're exactly right. If you don't know about the issue, you can't do something about it, right? So we take all this wonderful work of our initiatives, of our policy work, and we put it together in a way that people can engage with. As Tiffany said, the policy arena is not, it's not meant for people to engage with, like, right? It was set up in this really clunky way. But specifically, if you look at LB 451 with the hair discrimination, natural hair discrimination, if you're a white male bald senator, you've never (laughs) been told how your hair should look in the workplace, right? And so we need to create a pathway for people to engage in the process, to share their story, to inform senators. We have this really beautiful unicameral system in Nebraska. We're the only way, the only state that's set up this way, which means that Nebraskans are truly the second house. Their information, how they're telling their stories, how they're engaging in the process really has an impact in the state of Nebraska. And it's truly unique to our state. And so how does our team package the fact sheets. Um, Not everybody's going to read a bill. I never have read a bill, but I've read our fact sheets, right? And so I can better understand what's in the bill. How does it impact women and girls? And what's my role in engaging in this legislation? So that's part of what our um, small but mighty team does. But we also, yeah, we have the comprehensive media guide as well. We're seeing just recently in the news, there's a lot of conversation around sexual violence and the way that people understand that. And for a long time, people questioned the woman. What was she wearing? Well, why was she out at night? Um, And if we look at super recent things happening right now, 
women were in the workplace and they were murdered, right? And so how does the language in those situations, how is that impacting how people understand? We know nothing about the survivors. We know nothing about their hopes and dreams, their families, the lives that they live. All we know is that a man went into a workplace and killed eight people. And so how do we shift that narrative to talk about sexual violence? And once people better understand how it happens, we can better prevent it, right? If we're just asking women, why didn't they leave? We can't understand all those barriers to why women are in abusive situations, all the isolation, all the um, economic um, coercion that is happening in those relationships. There's just a lot that we have to unpack of the way that society has taught us about sexual violence in particular, that until we better understand it, can we prevent it? And that's what the media guide really did and working with the local media in Omaha and across the state of Nebraska to better report and shape the stories around this so that people can understand how this is happening in our communities. I appreciate that tool because I I believe words really do matter, right? And the slight words that we use, even once again, as I work with young professional women as they're starting their career, just helping them eliminate the words from their language that are soft words or words that maybe downgrade their effort or their work or the significance of their talent. You know, those, those words do matter. So I am a big believer in the ripple effect too, which goes back to words, right? And goes back to actions. But I believe that each one of us can do something that makes a difference. And Tiffany, I am curious, can you just give us some suggestions? What are some day-to-day actions that we all can take that will make a difference? From my lens as a policy advocate, you're going to you're going to get the line from me, which is that it is important to reach out and develop a relationship with your elected officials. This doesn't have to be all of them. You don't have to know them all by name. But I do want to really stress to folks that particularly as you get closer to you in government, the lower levels of government, those folks really do pay attention and listen to their constituents and they want to hear from the people that they represent. And so I think there's often a sense that, oh, I don't need to reach out on this issue. There's lots of other people doing it. Or why? Do, what will it matter if I reach out? I think the, the truth is on, on a number of the issues that we care about, there aren't that many people reaching out. And it does matter. If you're a, if you're a worker and you want to express your opinion about this issue, if you're a parent, if you're an expert in the field, it can be as easy as, dear council person, thank you for paying attention to affordable housing. I think it's critical. And, you know, I'm happy to continue to engage in this work. Dear Senator, my family has experienced domestic violence and understands how hard it is to find stable housing. Please support this bill. Dear board member, I have three children who are in public schools, and I think it is critical that we engage them in conversations about how to be healthy adults. And as a parent, I am excited to partner with you in this work. I mean, it is very simple. You don't have to be an expert. You are an expert in your own story and your experience. And so I think it is as simple as reaching out. Many issues, our elected officials are not receiving hundreds of contacts. They're receiving tens, maybe. So so I do think that's really important. The other piece I would say just as supporting women, supporting women, 
think about the ways in which we can lift each other up. We can bring each other to the table. We can make room for each other at the table, making sure we're trying to get rid of this scarcity mindset, right? That, that keeps these power systems in play. How can we, how can we support particularly women who are not at the table, right? Looking around the room, are there women from, from other identities that aren't represented, right? Do we have, are we bringing black women's voices? Are we bringing native women's voices? Are we bringing Latina voices to the table? So making room for each other and supporting each other where we can, I think is, is really important. I I think that's really, really great advice. And I'm even going to make the same comment on local companies and advertisers. You would be surprised how much a heartfelt phone call or email or note in the mail will in fact make a difference. And I think a heartfelt, really speaking from the heart, sharing your experience, I think does help. So I'm always curious about the paths people take to get into their careers. And you two are both successful, strong, talented women, I can tell. Tiffany, how did you get into this line of work? A bit of a winding path. I'm I'm not sure that, you know, as many of us, I'm not sure this is where I thought I would end up, but I, you know, have a had a really strong interest in the way systems impact people's lives. So I, you know, looking around and thinking about the ways that I have benefited from systems that were created, right? So I'm a public educated kid, uh, like just thinking about all the ways that I have benefited from, from the systems that have surrounded me and the structures and the way that not all have had those same opportunities. And so just been really interested in policy. I'm a nerd. I'm a policy wonk in that way, right? That you can write a law on a piece of paper and it can have a tremendous amount of impact for good or for not. And I have just really been passionate about how we can make these systems and structures work better. And so I uh, got an undergrad in political science. I got a master's in international relations. I was really particularly interested in international systems and the way our economy, our economy in the United States had such an impact on, on people across this globe. But out of grad school, I I worked on some campaigns and and got really involved, decided politics was not what I was interested in. I don't actually enjoy that part of the work. I enjoy the policy. I really like the the in the weeds stuff. And so became a got to work at Voices for Children as an advocate, doing this kind of policy work. Had an opportunity eventually to work as a legislative aide, as a staffer at the legislature, which was a tremendous experience. And then, you know, somehow a couple of years later, landed in my dream job at the Women's Fund. Oh, isn't that awesome? I love talking with people who have their dream job, right? That are just really passionate about the work that they do. You can just feel and see that when they talk to them. Jill, how about you? I'd love to hear your story. I've always been a chatty child. I My mom would be scared if I didn't come home because I walked by myself home from school at the exact same time every day because I would stop and talk to anybody. I had stories to tell. I had things to say. In fact, in first grade, I got set with my whole desk out in the hallway because I was talking too much <laughs> even to the teacher. And so I've definitely learned to be more strategic with my communications over over the years, but did book reports by myself over the summer. Like I just was really interested in writing 
and reading and consuming news and consuming pop culture. Like I just, I wanted it all. Spent a lot of time in front of the TV as a young child and reading books and just was always interested in communications and kind of took a pass through public television and higher education, a short stint at an agency, and then was recruited through LinkedIn actually for this women's fund position and knew that it would that they were working on issues that I cared about. And I was just getting started in planting my roots in the Omaha community and knew that this would be a next step for doing that and really building a life here in Omaha. And so it's been four and a half years since, and I've learned so much about policy, about advocating for yourself, about having open conversations with your children. Like I just, I've become a better parent and a better person and just really excited to come to work every day and support the work that we're doing in the community. You know, I love how you both have built careers on your passions and your interests, but yet they maybe didn't take that straight arrow path. All right, Jill and Tiffany, I am always inspired by motivational quotes. And this is my favorite question to ask people, but could you each give us a few of your own words of wisdom for our listeners? And Jill, since you're the chatty one, let's start with you. I think this is maybe not from anybody else, but something that's come to me over the past couple of years is to diversify your news and amplify voices that you're not used to. You learn so much more when you're listening to and engaging with people who don't look like you, who don't think like you, you're going to be pushed to do and think different ways. And that's a good thing. I think change is hard, especially for me. I'm a Taurus and change is super hard for me, but I would just say diversify your news, amplify different voices and listen. Nice. That is great. Tiffany, you're next. You know, I wish I had something brilliant to say. I'm not, I'm not sure that I do something that I probably say about three times a day. It feels like is that right now we are all just doing the best that we can do, right? So I work and interact with so many people who, women in particular, who are struggling under the challenges of work and caregiving and lots of demands of of trying to advance important policy. Um, And, you know, lots of people are just having a hard time. And I just think it's important for us to give ourselves some grace and, you know, all we can do every day is show up and and do the best we can do. But another thing that I, I try to think about and try to ask my kiddos every day is how are you brave today? What, what did you do that was brave today? And I think this is important for us in particular. We do have a seat at the table. We do have a seat in power, right? And how are we using our power and privilege to disrupt these systems that have benefited us to the detriment of others and that we need to we need to have hard conversations and we need to bring others to the table and you know sometimes that can feel a little dangerous for our power and privilege in the place that we hold and so how are we engaging in this work authentically and being brave in trying to achieve the equity and the representation that we we want and know is important to really achieving our mission for the women's fund but also just you know as women supporting each other i like all of those words that was kind of the trifecta of inspiration and wisdom right 
Let's make sure we're amplifying new voices, talking to people we don't normally talk with. Amazing. Let's make sure we're giving each other and ourselves grace. We're all just doing the best that we we can. And we've been going through a lot, a lot this past year. I I imagine it's going to be years before we really work through the impact of this. And then how are you brave today? I love that for yourself and for others. Really great stuff. So as we wrap up our time together, what is the best way for our listeners to learn more about the Women's Fund of Omaha or even go in and support your work, maybe find out about some of the resources or the policies you're advocating for? So website, social media, follow us, like us, get engaged online at omahawomensfund.org. On our website, you can donate to our group. You can also sign up for our email alerts. That's how we summarize our policy efforts, let you know what action items are needed from you. It's a really great way to get a preview of what's happening at the legislature and how it impacts women and girls specifically. So sign up for our emails. We're also on Twitter as Omaha Women's Fund and then on Facebook as well. And we'll do action alerts. We'll push out news. We'll amplify voices. We'll share news from our other grantees and community organizations that way as well. And really just let you know what's happening and and what you can care about. There's so much that you could care about for women and girls. And we try to synthesize all of that and get it into a way that you can really understand and engage with. Fantastic. We'll get that web address and those social media links in the show notes as well. So my last question for each of you on this podcast, what is the most important thing that you would like people to remember about the work that you're doing? And Tiffany, let's start with you on that one. I think the most important thing to remember is that you are a part of it. You're a part of this work. You know, our team works really hard to try to find ways to support others in engaging. Um, But our work at the end of the day is really only as strong as the others that that are willing to speak up and, and get involved in it. I could be the best lobbyist in the world, but I need constituents and I need um, policymakers to be hearing from their people in their district that they also care about these issues, right? It's, I, I can't do this work alone. I try to support others in using their voice, but um, we need folks to use their voice. So, you know, and we try to make a variety of ways that folks can engage in that work, whether maybe you're not comfortable reaching out to your elected official, but you are comfortable sharing some of our materials on social and that's social media, Facebook, Twitter, that's that's a way that you feel comfortable engaging and amplifying and using your voice. That's great. I think there are a lot of ways you can be in, be a part of this work. And so please, you know, join us and and join a conversation with us about how we can all play a role in building communities that support opportunities for women and girls. That's great advice. You know, you can't do it yourself. The Women's Fund can't do it alone either, right? You need all of us to come in and and help and support. Jill, how about you? What would you like us to to take away today? You stated it so beautifully. I would just add the piece of that. Um, What we talked about is we all have language and we all have the power to shape the narrative in our communities around what's happening and how issues impact women and girls. And because we all have language, we all have the power to shift the narrative, change the game, uplift women and support each other. And I think when all of our voices are joined together, we're going to be that much more powerful. So Use the powers that you have and the ways that you have with the energy that you have and we'll make a difference for people right here in Nebraska. That's that's really good stuff. Jill, Tiffany, 
Thank you both so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. You are doing really important work that will affect positive change for generations of women to come. And I really appreciate it. Thank you, Lynn. We hope you enjoyed today's Agency for Change podcast. To hear all our interviews with those who are making a positive change in our communities or to nominate a changemaker you'd love to hear from, visit kidglove.com at kidglov.com to get in touch. As always, if you like what you've heard today, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.